0: listening to All Things Video. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed Chrome extension helps with everything from bulk metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Our team at Bent Pixels uses TubeBuddy to manage channels for major brands like SeaWorld and Live Nation, as well as celebrities like Kevin Hart and Joe Rogan. They absolutely rave about the product, and I'm sure you'll love it too. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. We're your hosts, James Creech. And Luke Wang. And today we're excited to welcome Jonathan Scogmo, founder and CEO of Jukin Media. John, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You got your start as a producer at traditional entertainment companies like Nash Entertainment, Asylum, First Television... What prompted you to ultimately transition into digital media?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, my background has been producing the traditional television shows. And when I first moved out to Los Angeles, I had some experience working on films, but I had no experience working in television. And I landed this job being an assistant slash researcher on a clip show. And it was one of my first jobs in LA. I didn't know what it meant to be a researcher. I didn't know what a clip show was the show I was doing, uh, working for, was a derivative version of America's Funniest Home Videos. And my job was actually to help bring in uh, videos every day. But well, the problem back then, this is 10, 11 years ago, the only way to find content was an old analog way, was uh, we had a call to action for people to send in their, their VHS, tape, uh, VHS tape and DVD. And my job was actually go to the peel Box every day and I had to take this crate and I would come back with this crate full of envelopes and I had these VHS tapes, and I had a VHS player on my desk and I would look through these through these tapes and it was really bad footage and these envelopes smelled and that was really the only way to find shows. It was a home video show, so it was people sending in their tapes. And My job is to look through these, these tapes every single day and I thought there had to be an easier way than this because it's 2005 and I thought I would go online to find content. Today we can find almost anything we want online in in a matter of seconds. Back then you couldn't. Anything you had online was a lot of like jackass wannabes. There's a like guy's, guys, laying their balls on fire, jumping off roofs. And the, you couldn't really stream the content. The content was like really bad to stream it. The technology wasn't there. And there was no like really big site where you could find a bunch of content creators. So it was very difficult back then. And so I thought, again, 2005, there's got to be an easier way than this. And I started looking and looking to try to find content to see if I can source content. Um, because there's a lot of shady sites I've never heard of before and I actually finally ran across a piece of content Where I actually it looked like I could actually source the owner and it was actually friendly friendly content And the sourcing information said like something like here This is my dad doing something and the, guy, the dad falling over or something like that and I thought why don't I sign up for this website that I never heard of before So uh, start a profile and direct message somebody, and direct message this person Well, the problem with that is my supervising producers told me I'm wasting my time I should go to the P.O. Box and say, kid, keep going to the P.O. Box. And the other thing was, no one even knew what direct messaging was because it was before Facebook, before Twitter. You know, exactly didn't know who you were talking to on the other end. And I said, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to sign up for this website and send them a message because I think it's the owner and I think it was great content for the show.
0: Is that website still around today?
1: It is still around and I'll tell you what okay. it is and okay. maybe you can guess it. And so I reached out to this person and I got a response right away. And they said, for sure, you can, you know, I asked them, can we use this content, this video for our show? And they said, absolutely. And they sent the a license agreement and they signed the license agreement and sent back. And wow. I said, okay, well that worked out pretty well. I me, mean, you know, look, for, look on the site again, saw another video that I liked, reached out to them Send them a contract, I got a response right away. Happened a few more times, a few more times. And so actually by the end of the season, I worked on this whole season, I actually found more videos and better quality videos than the supervising producers who've been producing shows for the last 20 years, journalistic backgrounds. They've been producing all these clip shows and they were waiting for the mail to come. And I actually found more videos than that. So by the end of the season, the owners of the company saw that. And they said, kid, we're going to make you a producer. We're going to fire these guys. And you teach other people how you find content online. And so that's really kind of where I really started using online video and really applying licensing and licensing content for online and then moving it over to traditional television. And this little website at the time was called YouTube. 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 So, trying to think you know, my head. Hey, That was invented in yeah. 2006, 2007 Yeah, 000, 2005. 2005 So I was yeah. very lucky to be an early adopter to that site Kind of just stumbled upon it But as online video got more popular As we know And technology got better to stream content More people started uploading More and more content YouTube blew up And so did these clip shows they got extremely popular So I ended up being on the show for like five seasons But also the writer strike happened And when the writer strike happened in town They really needed alternative programming and so these clip shows, more of these clip shows started launching. So I became the guy in town who really knew how to produce these clip shows and staff them up. So I jumped around freelancing from show to show, show to show. Mm. And I was doing that for about three to four years when I realized, again, online video is not going away. YouTube's not going away. And I was producing a show for Discovery. And I realized someone needs to start aggregating this content. Someone needs to start actually buying the IP. And so that's what we did. So I actually quit my job for Discovery. And bought my first video for you know 200 bucks. I was able to relicense that video on your own behalf. On my own, yeah. I bought it on my own. Set up like a small company, a DBA, and which is doing business as, and made a a name for the company. And And that was 2011. That was actually end of 2009. Oh, okay. 2009. Yeah. What was the Um, first company called? It was called Shyway Entertainment. After being from Chicago, so Shyway. You know, Makes we're doing sense. it the Chicago way. It's actually a great quote in uh, the Untouchables. Conrad says, "So, they, uh started the company, bought my first video, and I was able to relicense that video the next day to, an, to a clip show. And then a few days later, because I own the video, I was able to relicense that video again. And that's the beauty: is that once you own the IP, you can relicense it so many times. And especially with this content, it's so evergreen. At the end of the day, and people want it." So
0: in that early period, back 2005 all the way even through 2009, how were you discovering the clips that you could then go out and and license? Search was nascent on YouTube at the time, but was that predominantly
1: how you were discovering the the popular clips? It it definitely was search, so it's very hard to find the original owner today. Um, It's extremely harder back then, but what I realized back then is when when you're clearing clips and working in clearance, you can't get it wrong, especially when you're putting that content on television. So I just kind of came up with a methodology called the secret sauce where I was able to understand how you source content. And you're absolutely right that now they filter results and so it's a lot easier to find that original video. But back then, I mean, it was really hard, especially when YouTube wasn't even that popular because they had a bunch of other websites out there that had copied the video, ripped and shared the video. I mean, it still happens today, but YouTube wasn't as strong as it is right now. What are some of the
0: most common abuses of copyright or licensing issues that you encounter?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, this is when we look at at user-generated content, this is the content that we're dealing with right now. This is the content that I love and actually been around my entire career. It's really short form in nature. It's between 10 and 120 seconds long. The, the content usually has like a money moment, like what I mean, like, I like to say the money shot or a magic moment, something happens. It's everything from funny, to cute, to inspirational, to newsworthy, to caught on camera. This is the most shareable content in the world. It's also the most ripped and stolen content in the world. People still think, uh, unfortunately, companies, and I'm mostly talking about companies and brands, think they can just take this content and use it however they want. They don't understand at the end of the day that somebody owns the IP, whether it's Jukin or we're representing the IP from an individual content creator at the end of the day so we're dealing with that every day so when, if you're a media company any media companies dealing with IP infringement we're dealing it, with it in a, in a different level and as for like feature films or music we're dealing with it on this user generated content so part of our kind of challenge has been educating the world that you can't steal this content and at one point everybody was but people are getting better and better mm-hmm. about it
0: so 2009 started Shyway how did that evolve into what became Juke Media down road?
1: so uh Shyway was something that I thought after I quit my job for discovery, I really thought I was working in production. When you work in production, as you guys probably know, they're long hours. It's like 14 hour days. And I was very fortunate when I produced these shows, I always had a job. So if I ended a job on Friday, started a new job on a Monday. And this is like a different show. So I was pretty exhausted by the time if um, I've doing this for four or five years actually producing. I was working as an assistant before that, but I was exhausted and I thought if I buy some of these videos, maybe you can just kind of get me through the summer or through the, or through the winter to the end of the year. And I didn't know, think I, I didn't know or plan to really have a business. I actually just wanted a little bit of downtime so I can actually start developing my own projects and my own IP. And it wasn't until really 2011 where I thought maybe I can make a business out of this. And so I did it for about a year, year and a half. I was just kind of messing around, but like developing my own stuff, trying to get some traction. And I wasn't really getting much traction. So I said, you know what? I just should focus on the clips. And when I really started focusing on the clips and sort of focusability of the business, that's why I think really Shyway that then later turned to Juke and a year or so later really started to take off.
0: James and I, I sitting outside earlier, we were talking about kind of when companies first start, they have a certain set of obstacles or problems that uh, are probably a lot different from what you experience on a day-to-day now. But we're also kind of reminiscing those early days were probably some of the more fun days, the Wild West days. Do you have any particular, you know, anecdotes or stories from the early days that you know, maybe some, some problem you had to come overcome because you were, again, a new company and a new entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, where do I begin? <laughs> One time had a lot more hair than I did. <laughs> a lot of it is re- probably because... Of being an entrepreneur and risking it. And it was a time where, I mean, this was when I started the company, it was as scrappy as you can freaking get. I mean, we didn't, a lot of companies, I would never do it again. I would raise a bunch of money, <laughs> which we later end doing, and which we end up doing later on. But I just also didn't know any better. So I only knew just make a profit. So I bought, and we had great margins. I was able to buy this content cheaply and then relicense it. At the time, I was just doing non exclusive license. Now we get the exclusive. But I mean, I was working for my apartment. And when i was working for my apartment, it was a two-bedroom apartment. And I had people come over, my employees, which were part-time or they're 1099. They would come over to my apartment. We had folding tables and chairs. I worked for my bedroom. I had a desk in there. I had two people in the living room. And in the second bedroom, when my roommate finally moved out, was another office. We made two people sit in there. And I was really freaking scrappy. And I was using the, the apartment fax machine as the company fax machine. I had a home phone and that was the office phone. It was, yeah, it was like, there was a FedEx down the street and I was able to walk the FedEx. I mean, I remember when we would, grab lunch for people I would steal the silverware the plastic silverware <laughs> as many as I could like forks and knives and, and napkins yeah Chipotle exactly Chipotle was definitely one of them so when you talk about like the, like the scrappiness of being on entrepreneur I mean I lived it I freaking mm-hmm. lived it we were making where we, we were I would order lunch and we'd eat in my, my kitchen and it was a small apartment yeah we're stealing coffee and anything that we can, we can get it to survive yeah. so there's just so many stories like that and especially the first two years were also so much fun I, I also had a, a buddy who I think came in for the summer the first summer who was laying who slept over and was sleeping on the couch and people would just let him sleep on the couch and they would work around him yeah exactly was like, don't disturb yeah, and he didn't mind and it was just whatever and it was just kind of funny so there's just so many stories like that when you begin that I learned so much. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I had that experience. I would never do it again. Hopefully, I never have to.
0: But it's such a great ethos to build into your business, right? To start that scrappy and to have a hustler mentality so that, you know, you're spending money like it's your own money. You're very conscientious about every decision that you make, and you have to have critical focus on everything you do.
1: I mean, absolutely. You had to be so scrappy in any... Anytime we we would spend money, I mean, we we had to be so careful how we did spend that money. It was really just a little investment that we just, I kept on reinvesting back into the company. I mean, for the first year and a half, I didn't take a paycheck. Two years, I didn't take a paycheck, but it was also, I'll use the company credit card on on my groceries, too. So it was a labor of love. Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, it's so unique, especially in this town, given that, you know, a lot of startups, especially in the digital media space, go out and raise money. And so... I think it's a, it's an incredible testament to what you've built, but it just gives you a different sort of perspective on things. And, and to, to be in, in LA at a time when everyone else was building an MCN, everyone else saw an opportunity to maybe get into services businesses for brands, whether that's rights management or, or channel management, you avoided maybe some of those pitfalls and stayed focused on that North Star, which was content acquisition.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was really interesting, too, that... When we started, when we first got in office and we actually started, I thought maybe we can start building a company here. It was really interesting just out of, I think, pure luck. The people, the companies that were in my building were Style Hall and Machinima, who were building these MCNs and were focused on YouTube. And I had no idea what they did. And I didn't get their business model on one bit. So to be even surrounded by that at a time Early on was very interesting. It was all by accident that you guys happened to. Be we in just the same. happened to be in the same building. It was a great building. Is it's almost like a rework, but it's more for a, like traditional production in Hollywood, right? in Hollywood. Yeah, called the Hollywood Production Center, and it was great for any startups because we actually rented. We were there for two and a half years. We rented. You can rent month to month, mm. but you can expand and track Luckily, we always kept expanding. But I Mushinam mean, was doing the same thing at a time where they actually took over. They had the whole floor at one point.
0: And how did you meet your co-founder Josh Entman?
1: So Josh comes from traditional sales, media sales background. He was actually at Blip, but before that, he was a buddy of mine I knew from Chicago, and we used to hang out sometimes. And he was doing some some ad sales, and I thought it was a great opportunity to show him what I was doing because when I when I quit my job, you know, and started this and I had this crazy idea, maybe I should buy these online videos, and I needed someone to talk to. And so he was there early on, so he was helping like, me moonlight. When he was moonlighting at night, we would kind of go through YouTube and see which videos we want to acquire or license. He then had to leave and he came back around in 2013-ish. He came back around, so he had to leave. He had to go down a different career path. I'm glad we were glad to have him back. And what are some of the challenges
0: or does the future hold today for Jukin?
1: So I think when you talk about focus, I mean, kept being extremely focused, so when he took challenges, I don't really look at challenges as external. For us, challenges I think is more internal. As you continue to build a company, now I'm much more focused in our apartment than, are, than are in my apartment. We have 130 employees, making sure that we're all laser focused at the end of the day, that we understand the mission, we understand the game plan because there's a lot of shiny objects out there. And a lot of companies go down these rabbit holes of chasing revenue. And for us, as long as we you know, continue to have our ethos and understand what we're good at, because what you say yes to, what you say no to is equally as important. So for me, I'm always trying to focus on, on staying focused, going down the path, having communication within all the groups, focusing a lot on communications. Actually, it's funny. Next week, we have a whole week dedicated to communications, where we call it such an original title, Communications Week. <laughs> <laughs> and so different, co- different people that will be doing um, meetings with each other, folks you can't sit next to somebody that you normally, normally would sit next to. And we kind of force people to open up communication, especially uh, people outside the LA office. So That's we cool. actually totally spend a lot of time mm-hmm. thinking about communications, having internal department meetings, uh, so there'll be no like external department meetings next right. week. It, everything's internal and we have a whole schedule set up. So we're super excited about that. Right. So time, I, I spent a lot of focus on that.
0: And you guys have international offices where you guys obviously are not always in the same time zone. Yep. So it seems like that's even more important than keeping everyone on the same page when they're not in the office. They don't get to see your face on a day-to-day basis.
1: Absolutely. Keeping that unity, you know, sure. top, top priority for you. Sure. Know, a New York office as well. Office. So, and they're like, I kind of like to say that there are many startups within a startup at the end of the day. And so I want to give them, make sure they have the support, make sure they understand what's going on. As you can see, you know, you mentioned the energy in the office. I mean, there's a lot of energy in this office, which is great because we really do encourage the collaboration. You know, and I want to make sure that translates to the other offices as well.
0: How are you guys leveraging data and technology today, especially as the business expands across multiple platforms? How are you uh, continuing to improve and stay ahead of the competition when it comes to discovering content?
1: So, you know, discovering content is always kind of, you know, our focus at the end of the day. That's what we're really good at. That's our value prop. But discovering content, anybody can discover content. For us, it's about discovering the right content. And so it's not even so much about the quantity of how much content we're discovering, but it's more about the quality and it's getting smarter about the content we acquire because our goal is to take that piece of that video content and be able to monetize it over and over and over and over again. So when we get smarter about the the unit economics of an individual video and understanding the lifetime value of these individual videos, and how many times these videos are monetizing, and more importantly why they're monetizing, why they're licensing over and over, why they're getting so many views, why are we syndicating so many times, why are we using it for our own um, internal publishing and programming, and the way we do that is get smarter about the data and understanding the data what is the, optimi- op- you know, the optimal video, what is the optimal length. And so we use data to help us make our acquisition decisions so we can understand those unit economics of every single video that enters into our library.
0: And now that you've been doing this for a number of years, are you seeing those unit economics increase? You're getting more long tail monetization out of content?
1: Yeah, so more than, um, of our our revenue is actually coming from older videos that are over a year old. Kind of shows you that again, this content is evergreen, snackable, people love it, and it has this kind of long shelf life. And so we're trying to understand more and more why it has this longer shelf life. And again, it'll help us make better decisions on the content we do go after, acquire, and license. What's coming next?
0: If you had to make some predictions about the space, uh, whether that's related specifically to content acquisition or more broadly to online video, what do you see?
1: I think more broadly, we're living in this wonderful time, you know, some, so many people are worried about the fragmentation and unbundling, but there's no better time in the history of the world to be a content creator or a content provider. I mean, when I st- started telling this story, you know, 10 years ago, when I first moved out to LA, there was two ways, you know, you became a content provider or a creator. You made a TV show or you made a film. And that was it. And then maybe you can make a short film and enter in a bunch of festivals. Today, some kid in Iowa, 14-year-old kid, can up, shoot a video, upload it, share it with the world, and get 14 million, 15 million, 30 million, I don't know, pick your favorite million number views, mm-hmm. more than a blockbuster that Marvel just spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars making. So, we're living in this world where being accessible to, to the technologies, being accessible to all these platforms, it's so much easier, and the barrier to entry is so much lower than it was just 10 years ago. So I believe we're living in amazing times right now, and it's great to be a content provider. It's great to be a consumer, because there is so much great content going on right now. So I'm super excited at the end of the day, and I, I hope we're taking advantage of it, and I hope other folks try to take advantage of the, of the of space right now.
0: Well said, I agree. I think we are absolutely in the midst of a revolution in how content is created, consumed, distributed, monetized, and companies like YouTube and others are giving these creators a way to live their dreams to make money and, ha- and make a living off of their passion and then for audiences to engage with that content and have a conversation rather than just you know being on the on a one way end of the spectrum of just delivering and receiving content it's
1: so much more dynamic the way you can engage with your audience right now the way, the way you can share you can you can send messaging you can send you know particular type of videos you can listen to to your audience in real time feedback i mean it's pretty freaking amazing of all the things you can do Have you read any good books recently that you just couldn't put down? Yes, I have it in here. Oh, here we go. It's on the New York Times, Jason Fried. That sounds interesting. What's uh it about? It's about just kind of like taking everything that you've learned over the years and then just reworking it, Uh reworking different methodologies. And it's a really quick read, which is really great. And then there's like, you know, 40 or something chapters that are only like a few pages long. But it's it's really interesting because they just have a different perspective and how you should be thinking the world and how you should be thinking about your business. So, I I like it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah.
0: And are there any trends that you're keeping an eye on uh, broadly in the online video space?
1: I just, I'm excited about all the new technologies that are coming out. I was just at Mobile World Congress and able to walk the floor and I'm seeing 360 cameras, I'm seeing drones, I'm seeing better, better mobile devices to shoot content. I mean, it's just pretty amazing how far advanced we've come as far as technology, as far as capturing the content that we can go out and create and we can go out and shoot. How will live streaming impact a business like yours? It's interesting. So we're testing live streaming for our different brands. So, you know, what I mentioned a lot about our, our video content, how we're monetizing it, a lot of it's licensing, syndication. The other end of our business is taking those same videos and verticalizing our library and creating content brands. So we have People Are Awesome, we have Jukin Video, Fail Army, Pet Collective and each one of those brands have their own voice and they have their own audience. Over 30 million, I think, fans between all those brands. And so they have hosts and they almost have, we have personalities that are talking about the content, and delivering content, and some of those personalities we're testing live streaming, um, particularly on, on Facebook right now and YouTube, and which, is, which is great. So it's interesting to see you know, where we go with that and how we experiment and having that one-on-one conversation live is pretty interesting and amazing.
0: I also think it's interesting to note that you're not just doing this on digital platforms, but you've also created a great partnership with Fox, and you've created a clip show and reinvigorated a traditional format with digital content.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a great, it's a really great time to be a content provider. I mean, for us, we may you know license or bring in you know a thirty second video, but how do we extend that lifetime value of that video? And how do we extend that IP? And so when we create these brands, we're extending IP, we're building, we're buying IP, and we're creating more IP from these individual videos. And we're publishing everything from two minutes to all the way to a 60 minute television show that can live on broadcast television. For us, again, great time to be a content provider. We're publishing on YouTube, we're publishing and taking a longer form format, working with the go 90s of the world, the Verizon, the Comcast Watchable, And then we're also windowing all the way up to television. So we still look at television, just another platform, just another window to monetize our content and to monetize our brands.
0: If you were building a business in the online video space today, what would you do?
1: Good question. If I was building a business in the online video space, well, for me, I I always would want to be a creator. So I think just, again, so many interesting platforms, so many places where you can showcase your work. There's more places and platforms than ever before. So creating good content and having that that quality content is so important. So anything you do, you should be really proud of, of the end result and the end product that you produce at the end of the day.
0: So you would get back into the creation game. Is that on you know being a producer or is that being more directly on the creative side somehow?
1: I think we've done an excellent job taking short form content and extending it up to longer form content. And I have a really great job is taking those short form videos and letting other people use the video. So I, would, I say we master the short form game. I would love personally to master the long form game in online video. I think that would be a personal challenge that I would love to take on at some point in my career. We're seeing increasingly influencers making
0: content for digital distribution and increasingly some studios looking at digital distribution as an alternative and also the trend going the other direction where influencers are, are getting placed in in large television and traditional film properties, do you think that's a successful model
1: I do I think it's kind of what I'm talking about that there's just so many platforms, so many different windows you can take the content you shouldn't just be just linear you shouldn't be just digital you shouldn't even be just ott I mean being I hate to say about platform agnostic is it, just so important these days and you're programming and you're publishing content differently to, to each platform to a different audience. How you publish on, on Instagram is different from Facebook. Publish on uh, Facebook is different from, from YouTube, from YouTube to television. You have to be very detail-oriented and think about the audience and the platform when you're creating this content. So I think it's great that people are jumping from linear to digital, and I'm excited. And That's what, the way they should be thinking. Where can people find out more about you and more about Jukin Media? Uh, the, maybe the best way is just our website at jukinmedia.com dot com and I'm so glad you said Jukin and not Junkin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys get that? We get it all the time. And I don't know if you noticed, we're next to a, a clothing, a, a company, clothing company. A very popular local clothing company called Junk Food. Mm-hmm. And so when we were finally getting over the name, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I think people are calling us Jukin. And I go into my new space. And then what's really next? And what's next door?
0: Junk Food. Oh, and I was walking into your building, there was a girl that was like, is this the same building? If I walk in one door, will it take me It's a little place? confusing. Like yeah, the the entrance, Yeah, you don't know
1: where you're going. Yeah. Where does the
0: name come from, out of curiosity?
1: Another, like being from Chicago, as you can see the Chicago, some of the Chicago stuff on the wall, um, there's a term me and my friends used to toss around, and it means yeah. there's something happening, something lively. Mm-hmm. We may say, hey, just call each other up, hey, is that party juking tonight? Mm-hmm. I Meaning, is it going on? And So sure. I took that term from uh, me and Probably my friends right, so. growing up in Chicago, yeah. Run, run. I
0: yeah. love it. Well, thanks again, John. This was awesome. Really fun to talk about, you know, the evolution of your business and what you've seen in the industry after so many years. So thanks for sharing.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning
0: in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.